Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Bravo Tea with Jared B. This is episode six. Um, I just want to start off by saying thank you for all the support. You know, I probably refresh the numbers uh, for the show a little too often. When I say refresh the numbers, I mean uh, the page where I can look to see how many downloads I get. Um, and I think we're doing fairly well for only being two weeks in. Uh, we definitely have some listeners around the world. Bravo T with Jared B is worldwide. Uh, most of our listeners, are, of course, are in the United States. But we have some people in England, Scotland, Bosnia, Australia, Bali, um, listening to the pod. So shout out to everyone around the world. Also, Canada, Ontario, Canada. Uh, we had some listeners. So thank you for all the support. Um, I'm just going to get right into it. So let's get into the real Housewives of Atlanta. So we have season 15, episode three, titled A Star is Reborn. And we start off the episode at Chateau Charay, and brunch is being prepared at Charay's house because she has invited Sanya and Marlo over. Um, Sanya and Marlo, they arrive, and the ladies start talking about BravoCon. Uh, this is BravoCon last year. Um, the ladies talk about how Mama Joyce, which is the mother of Candy, were on a panel together. Uh, they were on the Dynamic Duos panel together at last year's BravoCon. And Mama Joyce had some shady things to say about her daughter, Candy's husband, Todd. Uh, my question is, why is Mama Joyce still saying negative things about Todd. Todd and Candy have been together since season four. I believe they started talking after their cash trip to South Africa. I believe Todd and Candy got married during season six, and now we're on season 15. So why is Mama Joyce still trashing Todd publicly? Um, we don't know what goes on privately, but publicly, Mama Joyce is still saying some nasty things about Todd. Then Sanya starts talking about how her and Drew left off on a bad note at the last reunion, and there was an attempt to mend fences, and then Sanya felt like Drew started to be shady at BravoCon, acting a certain way, especially after agreeing to mend fences with Sanya. Um, and then Sheree briefly mentions her talk with Kenya on the last episode that we saw about her conflict with Martel. Sheree basically says uh, that the man that she has watched on his reality show, again, Martel Holt is on the reality show Love and Marriage Huntsville that airs on the Oprah Winfrey Network that is executive produced by the former executive producer of The Royal Housewives of Atlanta. And he was also a producer on the first two seasons of The Royal Housewives of New Jersey. His name is Carlos King. Um, but 
like I said, Sheree says the man that she has watched on television is not the man that she sees. It's not the man that she's experiencing dating. Um, and her example of uh, how good Martel has been to us is the fact that he picked her up from the airport when she had a car service plan. And I just want to ask Sheree, um, is that your bar? Is that the bar, Sheree? That Martel picked you up from the airport? Because, again, Martel did cheat on his wife for 14 years. He was in a seven-year relationship with the mistress that he ended up having a child with. Um, so, again, Sheree, I hope the fact that Martel is willing to... I hope the fact that Martel is willing to pick you up at the airport is not your bar for what you consider to be a good man. That's all I'm saying. So moving on to the next scene, we are at Stone Summit with Drew and Ralph. Drew and Ralph are having a daytime date, rock climbing. They start talking about, well, after they've done the rock climbing, there's not much to mention about that because uh, you they just rock climbed. Um, they start talking about working on music together. And Ralph says that they're like Ike and Tina. Um, if you don't know who Ike and Tina are, I mean, you surely should know who Tina Turner is. She's a legend. Um, but if you don't know who Ike and Tina are, they were a married and music duo. Ike Turner was the ex-husband of Tina Turner. Um, and Ike Turner was physically, emotionally, and financially abusive to Tina Turner for years. Um, the legendary Angela Bassett, um, she played Tina Turner in the movie What's Love Got to Do With? What's Love Got to Do With It? Co-starring Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, and in this role as Tina Turner, Angela Bassett was also nominated for an Oscar uh, for her performance. Yet another performance where Angela Bassett did the thing. Angela Bassett did the thing. Viola Davis, my woman came. So then we get to Drew, and Drew said she thought that they were more like Beyonce and Jay-Z, um, and not quite Drew, not quite, um, but Jay-Z did have a Becky with the good hair, and allegedly Ralph has had plenty of Beckys with good hair, so that's the only comparison between Jay-Z and Ralph that I could think of personally. Um, but then Drew mentions that the song that Ralph wrote and produced that Drew sang on only had 33,000 streams. Ralph said that there was no marketing plan behind it, and Drew agrees that they drop the song, and Ralph kind of backed away from it. Ralph says that he's working on a lot of things right now and that he needs to focus on what he has to do. In this moment, I felt sad for Drew because I believe that Drew saw this music partnership between her and her husband as a new path for their relationship. And it's evident that Drew sees that Ralph is not sticking to his commitment um, in this way. Uh, we do find out that Ralph, again, <laughs> was not sticking to his commitment because... Drew ends up filing for divorce from Ralph. This news was broke. I think this news was broke. I don't even know. Is that proper English? This news was broke. This news dropped about a month ago, I believe, right before 
the season 15 trailer of Real Housewives of Atlanta came out, if I'm not mistaken. You can look it up yourself. Google exists. Um, <laughs> so we get to the next scene, and uh, Kenya Moore is fussing at her graphic designer about the quality of her logo. Um, but I'm not even thinking about that because I just want to mention in the scene that you see Kenya Moore's assistant, Caitlin. Uh, so several weeks ago, Gary from Below Deck Sailing Yacht and Captain Glenn were on Watch What Happens Live. That's Andy Cohen's show on Bravo. On Watch What Happens Live, Gary revealed that at BravoCon, he hooked up with Kenya Moore's assistant. So I'm wondering, is this the assistant Gary was talking about? Because Kenya was on Watch What Happens Live weeks later, and she said she was not happy about the fact that Gary mentioned that on Watch What Happens Live. And so I can assume that this will be brought up again at BravoCon later on this year when it's in Las Vegas. So stay tuned for that. Then Kenya um, FaceTimes Monietta Shaw, who is a f- friend of the season, uh, to choreograph Kenya's upcoming f- performance. So I did not know that Monietta Shaw was a choreographer. All I knew of her is that she was the ex-wife of Neo. Now, I'm wondering, is that how Neo and her met initially? Like, was Monietta doing choreography for Neo and then they fell in love? Or, you know, they just happened to be in the same business? You know, Monietta probably has done choreography for other people in the music industry. So maybe that's how they met. Um, I don't know, but it's good that uh, we're getting to know more about Monietta. Um, So then we get to the next scene, and this is at the candy-coated offices. Candy goes through her list of things that she has to do with Don Juan. Candy's list is very long. I think there's like 10 things on Candy's list that are a must to do. Um, Then Monietta shows up. Candy starts talking about her expanding her business into Broadway shows. Like I've shared previously, Candy and her husband Todd are producing a Broadway play called The Piano Lesson. I believe it's an August Wilson play. And this play is starring Samuel L. Jackson, John David Washington, who is the son of Denzel Washington, and Danielle Brooks. You will know her as Tasty if you watched Orange is the New Black. Um, So we also found out two weeks ago that The Piano Lesson was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Revival of a Play, which means that Candy and Todd are nominated for a Tony as producers. Then they get into BravoCon and how Mama Joyce sat on a BravoCon panel with her sisters, uh, those three we know as the old lady gang, Uh, Mama Joyce said on that BravoCon panel that the type of man that she would have picked for her daughter Candy is a man that has a decent job. Now, I'm trying to understand what about Todd's jobs, plural jobs, uh, aren't decent. Todd has open restaurants. Todd has produced Broadway plays. Uh, Todd is currently, that we see on the show, writing a script for a play uh for a movie that he wants to produce. So why is Mama Joyce still saying Todd doesn't have a job or now she's saying he doesn't have a decent job? Just Mama Joyce, 
you know, you're you're very entertaining. You've had great moments on the show. But just be happy that your your daughter's happy. Like Todd is providing for his family. Todd is making money moves. Todd and Candy are making money moves together. Just support your daughter. But Candy doesn't want to disrespect her mother. So Candy just kind of lets her mom diss her husband. And I have mad respect for Todd because he just lets it happen out of the love for his wife and wanting to keep the peace in his family. And so Candy says that she just wants her mom to respect her marriage. But to me, in order for your mother to respect your marriage, you have to create consequences for the constant disrespect of your marriage. That means saying... Mom, I love you, but we can no longer tolerate the disrespect for Todd and my marriage. And until this behavior changes, you can't be around my family anymore. Now I know Candy would never say that to her mother. Never. But Candy needs to understand that unless you create boundaries with Mama Joyce, she will continue to disrespect Todd privately and publicly like she has done in the past. Moving right along. So we get to Drew and Ralph's house, and guess who's coming for dinner? Cousin Courtney. And Drew says that Courtney likes white wine, and Drew fails miserably at pronouncing Sauvignon Blanc, and instead calls it Sauve Blanc. And, you know, that made me cackle. So next time I go out to a restaurant and a waiter asks me what I would like to drink, I'm going to look him dead in the eye and say, I would like a glass of Sauve Blanc. And I would just like to see how that waiter reacts to that request. Um, Then we see Candace from the Real Housewives of Potomac. She FaceTimes Drew and invites her to perform with her at her concert at the City Tavern. I think it's the City Winery. Is this a City Tavern or City Winery? In Atlanta. I think it's City Winery. Um, or maybe it's a tavern where they have wine. Tomato, tomato. Um, Courtney arrives with a man who Drew has done a movie with. This man is the father of Courtney's 24-year-old daughter. Courtney said they dated on and off for 20 years, which, in my opinion, is a long time to be dating on and off, but to each their own. And in this moment... I have never heard of Bryce before, nor have I seen him before. But then Courtney shares a little nugget of information that I found very valuable. Courtney says that Bryce was part of an R&B group called Groove Theory. And I'm like, ding, 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 ding. I'm a child of the 90s, and I love me some 90s R&B. One of Groove Theory's most popular songs Tell Me always comes up on my Pandora playlist. It's a 90s slash early 2000s R&B and hip-hop playlist. So Tell Me always shows up, and I know the song. I, I know it very well. Um, so now I know who Bryce is and his contribution to uh, one of my favorite 90s songs. So then Drew FaceTimes Candy to tell her about her performance with Candace, and then Drew... Drew's like, Courtney's here, and this is Ralph's cousin, and obviously Candy doesn't care to see Courtney, uh, because, you know, two episodes ago, uh, Candy was threatening to headbutt uh, Courtney, and but I don't think Drew was malicious with this. Remember, Drew was not at Ross's 40th birthday party. Drew was in Chicago tending to her father, 
who um, is suffering from Alzheimer's. Um, so I don't think Drew was trying to be shady in this moment, though Drew did know that her Candy and Courtney had a conflict. So I don't know if I would be on FaceTime with Candy trying to show Candy, look, Courtney's here because clearly Candy does not give a damn about Courtney. So now Drew, Ralph, Courtney, and Bryce are sitting down for dinner. And Courtney reveals that at Sheree's house prior to Ross's 40th birthday, Sanya suggested to Courtney that she confront Candy. Now, I don't know if Sanya suggested Courtney confront Candy at Ross's 40th birthday or just in general, like in at any upcoming group event that happens, um, but it ended up happening at Ross's 40th birthday. And I'm honestly shocked by this. I'm like, look at saying you're trying to co-produce an argument on the show. I didn't know she had it in her. And let's remember, last week, Sanya told Candy that Courtney called her ghetto at Sheree's house. So what is Sanya doing? Causing drama. Sanya's trying to step up her game. Watch out for Sanya. So then we move on to the next scene. And this next scene pretty much takes place in Marlo's Bentley. Marlo is going to Lenox Square Mall to pick up some clothes and a Cartier bracelet. And if you don't know about Lenox Square Mall, Lenox Square Mall is in Buckhead, which is in Atlanta. Buckhead is a more um, high-end, wealthy part of Atlanta. Um, unfortunately, Lenox Square Mall and the area of Buckhead have fallen victim to gun violence uh, to the point where there are now metal detectors in Lenox Square Mall, a, more, a mall where you do have a Cartier store, a mall where you do have Louis Vuitton, a mall where you do have all these designer stores. And meanwhile, pop, 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 that's all you hear about going on at Lenox. Um, I haven't heard anything in a while. Um, I think I went to Lenox. For the first time in years, during the holidays, I went to the Apple store, and I have to say, I was not shot, so they're doing something right. That's all I'll say. But Marlo's nephew, William, who's sitting in the back of the Bentley, uh, mentions in the car that Michael wants an $1,000 pair of shoes for Christmas. And Marlo says that straight A's get a $1,000 pair of shoes for Christmas. Now, I'm not a parent, nor do I have the money to buy anyone, including myself, an $1,000 pair of shoes. I probably could, but it would be a bad financial decision. Um, but what I would have said in response is that a job gets you an $1,000 pair of shoes for Christmas. I feel like that's something my mom would, would probably tell me. Um, and I say that because, you know, Things become more meaningful when you have purchased them due to hard work and the money you've earned due to that hard work. But I think a good compromise with uh, Michael might have been, you know, take him to Nordstrom Rack. Take him to Saks Fifth Avenue Outlet. You know, you can meet in the middle. He can still get a nice pair of shoes. Um, they, you just won't pay retail for it. And there's, I, listen, if I can avoid paying retail for something, do so. I love Nordstrom Rack. Love it, love it, love it. Um, 
But then Marlo asks the boys if they have noticed a difference in her since they have started working with a life coach. Michael says yes, but with some reluctance. And uh, William says that he can see that Marlo is trying. And I have to say, at least they were honest. You know, and I can see that Marlo is trying. Marlo's still a little bit too extra, and we'll get to the extra later. Um, but I can see Marlo is doing everything she can to better prepare herself to be a mother auntie to her nephews, William and Michael. So I salute Marlo for doing the work. Because that's all we ask. That's all we should expect of ourselves, to do the work. Um, and then we get to this last scene. Um, this is a long scene. A lot happens. We're at City Winery, um, which happens to be outside Pont City Market. I did not know that. And this is Candace's concert. The ladies arrive for the concert. This is Monietta. This is Kenya. This is Candy. And then I believe Sanya arrives. And then Marlo arrives. And then it becomes obvious that Monietta, Kenya, and Candy do not rock with Marlo like that. So it seems like the only people Marlo's cool with at this point is Samia, Drew, Sheree, and Courtney. But at least Marlo's not on an island by herself because when a housewife is on an island by herself, and what I mean by that is when she's not getting along with anyone and no one wants to film with her, say that would say that was the case in the situation, which is not. Um, Marlo would probably end up being fired because, you know, what's the point of you being part of a cast if no one likes you and no one wants to film with you? But then Bubbly, Cor uh, Bubbly Cousin Courtney arrives uh, to City Winery. And honestly, in this moment, I think Courtney is just happy to be there. I think Courtney is happy to be in the mix. Courtney is happy to be filming with the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And Courtney is working extra hard to earn a peach even though she pretty much earned half a peach because she's only a friend of. Um, Candy says in her confessional, looking like Foxy Cleopatra from Austin Powers' Golden Member, I'm Foxy Cleopatra, and I'm a whole lot of woman sugar. Um, and <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. Um, but <laughs> Courtney's not Courtney. I, I have completely thrown myself off. Um, Candy says in her confessional that Courtney and her do not need to talk about anything. She is not looking for new friends. And she said Courtney can keep it pushing. So at this moment, it seems like the only one that's missing is Sheree. And then, of course, Sheree's shady confessional comes up. And Sheree says she is so sorry to miss an opportunity to see Flop It Like Drew, but she's under the weather and whoop, confessional disappears. Leave it to Sheree to not be present in this moment, but still be able to provide something in this moment, including a shady confessional, Flop It Like Drew. Um, and I have to say, moving on from that, before we talk about Candace, Candace is getting a lot of exposure on Bravo and Peacock. They're playing her music. They're showing her performing. Her music was featured on last season of The Real Housewives of Potomac. Then it was featured on this recent season of The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Thailand 
on Peacock. And now Candace is performing on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, so take note that if you are a Real Housewives, if you are a Real Housewife, this is how you use your platform to make things happen for yourself. Take note because Candace is doing it and she's doing it well. And so Candace performs, um, even though she's looking like Beyonce. She did a good job. Um, and when I say she looked like Beyonce, I'm talking about the blonde hair, basically down to her knees. And you know, um, Candace is a quarter pint. Like, she's a tiny woman. So that long blonde wig, like, kind of, you know, there's this... Basically, the wig is wearing Candace. Candace is not wearing the wig. Um, and then Candace is also wearing a black leotard like Beyonce, uh, circa single ladies. And then Candace even has a fan in front of the stage. We call that a Beyonce fan because if you ever seen Beyonce perform, Beyonce always has several fans blowing on her, which is why uh, her hair is always blowing in the wind. No, that is not natural wind that Beyonce uh, brings when she shows up to places. Um, this is wind from a fan. So then Candace brings Drew on stage for their performance. And they kind of just go back and forth singing, I'm going to love me. There were some doo-wops, a little doo-wop-wop-wop. Um, there were some harmonies. They were harmonizing. And, you know, it was giving main stage karaoke, but that's okay. That's okay because what's important is that this moment revitalized Drew because... Drew walked off that stage and acted like she just finished closing night of a sold-out world, world, world tour. <laughs> For some reason, I can't say world. Um, yeah, Drew left the stage acting like she just closed out a sold-out world tour. Um, and then the rest of the ladies start clowning Drew's performance. And I felt a little bad, even though it was funny. Because it was shorter than we all expected. And when I say shorter than we all expected, Drew was only on stage for 46 seconds. And we know that because it was counted, shady production. Um, and the lady said they wanted more than a little woo-woo-woo. And I have to admit, I did too. Um, but I'm happy for Drew. Those 46 seconds is all she needed. And if Drew is happy, then I love that for her. I really do. And then Drew, in her confessional, says, Candy is not going to be the only one in the group with a Grammy. And I see you, Drew. Speak it into existence. But I would like to advise you that there are other ways of winning a Grammy. You could also write a book and do an audio book. And that's another way you can uh, win a Grammy. So to all my listeners who are not musically inclined, you too can win a Grammy if you write a book and read it and win a Grammy, if it's good enough. Um, but then the ladies reconvene. I don't know if this is the seller of City Winery, but you know that we can't have a group event without some type of drama. So in this situation, Santa uses this moment to squash her ongoing beef with Drew. 
This is what I call petty drama. This is not entertaining petty drama. It's the kind of drama not even worth watching, and I doubt that this truce will last. I, I feel like Drew and Sanya like going at it, and I think they think we enjoy it, but the truth is we don't care. Um, and I wish they would understand that. Move on, because we don't care. Um, and after the healing between Drew and Sanya happens, the drama begins. Candy mentions to Courtney that she heard that she was called ghetto and Sanya basically co-signs. Courtney says she was born in the hood. Her family's from the hood. She loves the hood. And in my opinion, you know, that may be true, but I, for one, have an issue with black people that use the term ghetto or hood against one another because there are ghettos, there are hoods, there are projects around the world. And I choose not to judge where people come from and where people live. I don't judge them for that. Because the truth of the matter, some of them are our most brilliant minds, some of our most talented musicians and vocalists, some of our most uh, accomplished athletes, um, some of, you know, the scholars known around the world grew up in the ghetto, grew up in the projects, grew up in the hood, and have made something of their life. And the truth of the matter is, um, I don't know if people know this, but how a pearl is created is under pressure. So there are a lot of people living in the projects, living in the hood at this very moment that are under pressure right now. And they're going to turn out to be a pearl and wait until we find out what they end up contributing to the world. So that's how I feel about that whole situation. Um, Candy says that you shouldn't look down on the places where you come from, which I agree with. And then Candy and Courtney start going at it. And then it becomes Monietta and Marlo's turn to argue. Now, I have to be honest. In this moment, I feel like Marlo handled herself with a lot of grace. Monietta was getting heated, and I think uh, Mar Monietta was looking for a TV moment, and I think Marlo knew this, but Marlo wasn't going to give it to her. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes these new girls, whether you're a friend of or a brand-new housewife, they look to try to uh, have an argument with a mainstay housewife for a moment, hoping that the housewife they are trying to have an altercation with, an argument with, engages to create a moment together of television that's worth watching. But Marlo did not give Monietta that favor. So good on Marlo. Kenya has done this to Marlo before. I think Kenya did that to Marlo last season. Marlo was trying to go at Kenya, and Kenya was not having it. Kenya was like, whatever, girl. Try to have a moment, but I'm not going to give it to you. And you also see Kenya just standing there in the background, uh, leaning up against the bar, smiling. And I think Kenya is just enjoying the fact that she's at this group event, conflict is happening, and she's not involved. Kenya's just enjoying the show, and so are we. So then, this is where things take a weird turn. Drew asked Candy what was going on with her restaurant, Blaze, and she's referring to the shooting that happened that involved her cousin. Her cousin was shot by a disgruntled and, I believe, intoxicated former employee. 
But uh, Drew, in this moment, was very careful with her words. Um, instead of calling it a shooting, she called it an incident. Now, Drew says that she was at Blaze two days before the shooting and or the incident. And then Marla was like, before what happened? And it was almost like Marla was coaching Drew on what to say. And Drew calls it an incident. And Marla asks, what incident? Then Marlo says, the shooting that happened at Blaze? Candy responds. She doesn't pay any attention and just says it's a private matter. She's not going to talk about it. Then Marlo breaks the fourth wall and turns to production while filming and says she's ready to go home because Candy gets to pick and choose the things that she talks about on camera. Then 30 minutes after production starts, stops, we see Drew and Marlo arguing, and I believe that this camera footage is from the iPhone camera of a producer. Marlo is mad at Drew that Drew said incident and not shooting when Drew was asking Candy about her restaurant blaze. Drew is saying that she has lost family to gun violence, and Marlo has too, and why on earth... Would she try to make that moment make that a moment on camera? And I agree. Marlo, if this is a tough situation for you, why would you try to use this to like against Candy? And Marlo says that the situation triggered her because her eldest nephew died from gun violence. Marlo also mentions the fact that he used to work at Candy's restaurant. Marlo told Candy about it via text, and she felt as if Candy wasn't supportive. And then Marlo says Candy pretended not to know about it after. Then Marlo gets up and screams that her nephew is dead in Drew's face. Marlo storms out City Winery and is yelling in the parking lot of Pont City Market. And I just have to say, I was near Pont City Market on Saturday. I had a good time, met up with a good friend of mine and some other people. Um, I need to get out more in Atlanta because I went out this Saturday and there were so many restaurants and bars and cool places that I went to that I did not know existed. So I need to get out of my my comfort zone a little and like go out and explore Atlanta because I have no clue what's going on out there. But I would like to say while I was near Pont City Market on Saturday, there were no screaming housewives in the vicinity that I know of. But I'm still very confused by this whole argument. I'm confused why Marlo would really try to use this moment that Drew was asking about Blaze to express grievances about her departed nephew that was murdered by his roommate. I don't know if Marlo and Drew were plotting out this moment prior to filming. I don't know if Marlo needed Drew to say the right things, to say certain things, so then Marlo could kind of jump in and say what she had to say to Candy. But I hope we find out more about this. Because this this was this was kind of the juice in the peach in this episode. The end, unfortunately. There wasn't really much to this episode until we got to the end. Um, but yeah, that was season 15, episode 3 of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And when we return, we're going to talk about Summer House, Martha's Vineyard.
let's get into Summer House Martha's Vineyard. This is season one, episode three, titled House Divided. So uh, we continue off with the conflict between Phil and Amir. Phil is talking to Alex saying, I don't know who you are, but I'm Phil Brooks. And I would like to say, Phil, you know, we don't know who you are either. We just met you. And so far, I'm not liking what I'm seeing. Your energy that you brought into this house was whack. You're pooping in people's toilets because you think they're sleeping in your room. Meanwhile, in my opinion, it's first come, first serve in a group house, especially a vacation house. If you don't show up on the first day at that first moment, you are not going to get your preferred room. So, you know, Phil, get over it. You should have just taken your options. Um, so then Phil had to be walked away by production. Amir uh, says that he was triggered by Phil because he was bullied growing up because he was half black and Lebanese and he was the Urkel type. Um, but, you know, Urkel was a, Steve Urkel turned into Stefan Urkel. Let's remember that. Ur, Urkel's, you know, his storyline, it went well. He ended up with Laura. They fell in love. I think that's how family matters in. Is, does Steve Urkel end up with Laura? If one of my friends who is listening to this <laughs> remembers watching Family Matters, can you let me know if Steve Urkel ended up with Laura? They should reboot that. I would like to see how their lives turned out. You know what I mean? I know we don't like the reboots, but I'm down for it. But back to the show. So then Preston, Alex, and Amir are like, if Phil stays in the house, they're done with the show. So then Jordan goes to speak to Phil to try to assuage the situation in the house. Jordan questions why Phil defecated in Nick's toilet, and Phil explains that it was his room. And then Phil tries to shift blame towards Bria and the dog Milo, and Jordan was not having it. Jordan was trying to have an adult conversation, and Phil was not taking it seriously. Jasmine then walks in to call a house meeting, and Jasmine's like, ladies, and Phil says, and gentlemen. And Jordan's like, but are you a gentleman? Because at this point, Jordan says, you get the title of a mother trucker sitting on a couch. Then Phil says, he'll go poop in Jordan's toilet. And then Jordan goes off on Phil. One thing I think we all learned at this moment is that Jordan is not the one to mess with. She is the one your mama warned you about. I got that from Eva Marcel, Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 2, Dorinda's house. Then we get to the house meeting downstairs, and the only ones missing from this house meeting are Phil and Mariah. The house votes unanimously for Phil to leave. And then Bria brings up the fact that Mariah should leave too because Mariah pushed her. So basically Mariah has to leave the house and Silas is saying that they are drawing the line at physical contact. And this I understand. We don't want this show to turn into a circus, especially because this is their first season. And I understand they don't want to send out the wrong image about this group. So I understand how they are um, they're trying to quell any potential physical altercations that happen in this house. 
Um, I do believe that Mariah should have been part of this house meeting. I think, how does Jasmine not get her best friend and let her know, hey, there's a house meeting? So I'm wondering, that, like, why didn't production tell Mariah that there's a house meeting? You know? And poor Mariah is in the kitchen with no idea that she's going to have to leave this house. Then Jasmine explains to Mariah the situation and that people saw her push Bria. And Mariah responds and says, who saw her push Bria? Mariah, we all saw you push Bria. You shouldn't have done it. Use your words, baby girl. Use your words. I know you were channeling the moon and the stars and peace and the earth. But in that moment, you were not. There was no moon goddess in that moment. It was Mariah. Um... And so, but I, I personally feel like Mariah shouldn't have been lumped in with Phil because Mariah was in the house from the beginning. I believe that Mariah should have been given a chance to apologize. And I think this would have been a great moment to see resolution happen on the show. You know, Mariah is a single mother and I, being on the show would have been a great opportunity for her, especially if the show continues past season one. You know, look at the crew from OG Summer House and how they've used the show to create opportunities of business for themselves. Um, so I, I feel bad for Mariah in this moment. And I know I said in probably episode two or four that I didn't think Mariah would last long in this house. I just didn't think it, this would be the way that she left. Um, then we move on to upstairs. Um, Shanice is trying to shag Amir. Shanice invited Amir into the bathroom while she was getting ready to shower. Then Shanice comes out the bathroom topless. She's just in a thong, topless. And I believe that Shanice knew what she was doing. But I think it was very smart of Amir to not make a move on Shanice. Don't sleep with a girl's best friend because you're just asking for trouble. Look at Tom Sandoval. Hashtag Scandoval. Um, so we end up finding out downstairs in the kitchen that Amir is the one that mixed the laundry with Bria's dog stuff. And he said that he tried to speak up during the argument, but he felt like it was too late. And they did show a clip of like Amir kind of like raised his hand and opened his mouth, but he didn't really try to speak up. And even if he failed to do so in that moment, when the discussion of voting Mariah out the house came up, Amir should have then used that moment to admit that he's the one, he's he was basically the catalyst to the conflict. I mean, even though Amir didn't make Mariah push Bria, Mariah is the one that thought Bria was inconsiderate with mixing her dog stuff with the community laundry, the towels that were in the dryer. That's the reason why this whole conflict happened. So I'm disappointed that Amir did not speak up and chose to do it after Mariah left the house. So the house is getting ready to leave for a field day activity. And Alex says that Shanice needs to learn about personal space and that he's heard some things about Shanice in the streets. And though Shanice is his type, Alex is proceeding with caution. In the car, the boys are talking and we kind of see that Alex insinuates in his confessional that Nick is not being 100% intellectually honest about something we end up finding out what that something is at the end of the episode 
So we get to the the next scene, um, and they are at Inkwell Beach. Um, if you're wondering why this beach is named Inkwell Beach, you could go on Google.com and type in the history of the name Inkwell Beach and find out because I don't really feel like explaining it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You'll be fine. Um, so while they're at the beach, Bria and Preston are trying to motivate Shanice to have a conversation with Alex about why he is cautious about Shanice. But Bria explains that... Uh, Shanice is not a confrontational person. And you can tell Shanice really does not want to broach that subject with Alex. The group is doing their field day games and they get to flip cup and Alex was struggling. And I, I, I relate to Alex in this moment because I can be terrible at flip cup. I'm better at, um, what's that other cup game? What is it? Not drop cup. What is it? What is, what is that? Beer pong. Beer pong. I'm, I'm decent at beer pong. My hand-eye coordination is a bit off, but like when I'm in the zone, I'm in the zone. But when it comes to flip cup, it's too much pressure to flip the cup, and my team always ends up losing. So if my friends are out there listening and you want to play flip cup, just let me watch, please, <laughs> because I don't want to be the reason why my team loses. Um, so then Shanice has a conversation with Alex. Alex really isn't having it. And Alex admits in his confessional that an article was sent him sent to him the prior night about Shanice. Um, Shanice is alleged to be a crazy ex-girlfriend and a stalker. And Shanice does say in her confessional that she did do some of the things she was accused of. So at least she's owning it, you know, and, and not denying it. Watch out for Shanice. Um, and then basically the group decides to wrap up this field day of event when um, a flock of geese start flapping in the water. And I would have left too because I don't trust geese. Um, they can be very aggressive. And I don't want to be chased and pecked by geese. I really don't. You know, I respect the birds. I respect their space. And, you know, birds feel like they can fly anywhere. So I just try to stay out their way. So then we get back to the house. And the house is preparing dinner together. The group starts talking about going out to the club again. And I guess they're, they're talking about how much time they have left in the house. And I, it sounds like they said next weekend is their last weekend or the weekend after that. So I'm wondering how many episodes this first season is. It sounds like it's maybe like eight, possibly. Um, but... You know, the group discusses having a separate guy's night and a girl's night, and then they meet up after. And then Jordan mentions that she won't keep Jasmine out past 2 a.m., and this is where the the conversation kind of goes to the left to the left, um, everything you own in the box to the left. And the discussion of free drinks comes up again. And I have to say, I blame Jordan for this one. Jordan mentioned it, and if she didn't mention it, this conversation would have not gone there. But what transpired, what ends up transpiring from this conversation, it, it's clear to me that Silas doesn't know the Jasmine that existed pre-pandemic before he met her. Because remember, Jasmine and Silas met during the pandemic when there was no going out. And remember, this was New York City. So there really was no going out unless you really, really had to. And so... You know, there was the party girl Jasmine, the girl that 
stayed out until 3 a.m. And Silas is seeing in this moment that maybe he does not understand the full identity of the woman that he married. So we'll see how that plays out. And then Jordan asks Nick about his dating life. Nick then admits that he does have a girl he is talking to back in New York. I don't know who said girlfriend. I don't know if Nick confirmed girlfriend, but someone said girlfriend. And it seemed like Nick confirmed it. Meanwhile, we find out that Nick was sliding in the DMs of Shanice, Bria, and Jordan. Shady, shady Nick. Shady, shady Nick. I'm going to be honest. I don't think Nick mentioned the girlfriend in New York because I believe that he was trying to keep his options open in the house. And I say that because I've seen this on shows like Below Deck, Big Brother, and The Real World when that show used to be on and really good. Um, What was common is that guys that would enter the house, Big Brother house, The Real World house, or the boat on Below Deck... You guys would often break it off with whatever girl they were talking to back at home because they wanted to keep their options open just in case they end up hooking with whomever is in the house or the boat. So I think that's what Nick was doing. Um, And yeah, this was the episode of Martha's Vineyard. Um, this, This episode was okay. It was okay. It was a little lukewarm. There was a little juice, but, you know, I think it's it's time to throw that fruit away. And I'm ready to see what else this group is going to bring. Because one thing about kicking out two people in the house that have caused conflict is if you kick those two people out, what else is going to happen? You need people in the house to create conflict because otherwise the show is not entertaining. Like... Of course, we're not watching the show for drama, but part of the formula for Summer House is partying, you know, and being drunk, hookups, and drama. You know, it's like 25%, 25%, 25%, and I really can't figure uh, out what the other 25%. I guess the other 25% is maybe personal story. So, okay, 25% is... Uh, partying and getting drunk. The other 25% is hookups. The other 25% is drama. And the last 25% is personal story. And so when you get rid of two people in the house and don't give them the opportunity to apologize for their wrongdoing, even though Phil wasn't really into apologizing apologizing for his wrongdoing, uh, you create a situation where there's no conflict in the house. But, you know, in next week's episode, we welcome two more cast members. So we'll see where Summer House Martha's Vineyard is going to go. And when we return, we're going to talk about the season finale of Summer House Hamptons. Let's get into Summer House. This was season, season seven, season seven, episode 15, titled Welcome to the Jungle. And this is a season seven finale of Summer House. Um, the first scene, we are, of course, in the house in the Hamptons. 
And we start off where the last episode ended with the dramatic return of Lindsay and Carl back into the house. Lindsay and Carl walk back into the house like nothing ever happened, and they greet Kyle. Kyle explains that he's in a tough position. He's trying to mediate between both sides of the house, even though he has stirred the pot a little. Like, let's remember, Kyle did not have to tell Carl at his engagement party that Danielle was mad because she wasn't included. Kyle could have saved that tidbit for another time. So that's why I say that Kyle has stirred the pot a little bit. But uh, he says that he just wants Lindsay and Carl to understand the perspective from others in the house. Carl says that he feels hurt, that it was made to seem like he did something wrong by not involving Danielle in their engagement. And I believe that Carl's feelings are valid. I, I agree with how Carl feels. Um, Kyle recommends that they have a conversation with Danielle and Lindsay basically confirms that she plans to. And, uh, you know, Carl's probably not going to be involved in that conversation. Um, The group is getting ready for the safari party. Lindsay walks into the big room where Gabby, Sam, Danielle and Corey are getting ready. The only people that don't greet each other are Lindsay and Danielle. Then in Danielle's confessional, where she looks like she's literally on the verge of tears, and she's like, this is great. They should be here. I want them to be here. Well, then how come you didn't say at the very least, welcome back, we're happy to see you, or I'm happy you're here, something. You save it for your confessional, which means nothing in that very moment. So Sierra is taking the safari party very seriously. She's doing her makeup. I'm impressed by her makeup. Uh, She's going to be an avatar, which is a great character to be for a safari party. Um, And then Gabby enters the kitchen, and she's giving Halle Berry as Sharon Stone in the live-action Flintstones movie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I love the Flintstones live-action movie, both of them. I think one of them is called Flintstones Viva Rock Vegas. Um, Listen, when I lived in Puerto Rico, there was not many options for renting movies. And I lived on a military base and we kind of had like a grocery store in the military base. And you could rent, I think at the time, I don't know if it was VHS. I think it was DVD by that time. Uh, Now these kids don't know anything about a DVD because now we stream everything. Um, But uh, Gabby looked like Halle Berry's character in the first uh, live-action Flintstones movie. That's what her look brought me back to. Um, So everyone in the house is gathered in the kitchen, and then Danielle walks in, and it is awkward as, you know. Because, like, Danielle, Carl, and Lindsay are just trying to avoid each other. They're trying not to look in each other's direction. They're trying not to speak, and... You know, you can tell conflict is brewing. That You could cut the tension with a knife, with a plastic knife, if that. Probably with a plastic spoon. That's how, that's how, whew. Listen, I don't understand why these people on these reality shows wait to, like, hash things out. Because, honestly, before this whole party started, I would have had a conversation with, if I were Danielle, I would have had a conversation with Lindsay already. And not, like, after the partying and the drinking and then you're drunk and then you end up saying things that you don't mean 
you know, emotions are amplified. So I'm like the type of person, you know, confront the issue, say it like you mean it. Straight talk makes for strained understanding. But, you know, that didn't happen. So, um... Corey and Sam are in the house taking a shot of what it looks like tequila, or it could be vodka. And Corey takes a shot and then puts his mouth over Sam's mouth and lets the shot from his mouth flow into Sam's mouth. And I've never, ever seen anyone do that before. And I don't need to see anyone do it ever again. Honestly, we didn't need to see that, bravo. Sam says that her and Corey have moved past the pull my hair and spit in my mouth phase. Good for them. That's growth. Um, And now they're moving into relationship territory. Um, Danielle, once again, is talking about her issues with Lindsay and Carl with other people at the party um, instead of pulling them aside to have a conversation. Then Craig and Amanda um, start talking and Craig asks Amanda, what does she think Craig and Paige need to do in order to move closer to an engagement? And I honestly feel like Craig has not listened to Paige at all because Paige says she doesn't need anything to change. I feel like Craig feels like he needs to propose to Paige because if he doesn't, Paige is going to disappear. But Paige has not given any indication that if he doesn't propose that she is going to disappear. Paige has not said that. Paige is like, we're good. We're happy. I'm happy. Nothing has to change. Paige is not trying to rush this at all. And I think the current setup of their relationship makes Craig feel insecure about it. And that's sad. You don't really see the side of Craig that often. And I'm happy we're um, able to see better sides of Craig in this moment on Summer House. Um, I like Craig better when he's not with Austin. I'm not really into Austin like that. If you don't know who Austin is, he is on the show Summer House that takes place in Charleston. That is the show that Craig is a cast member of. Um, And then we see Oliver talking to some girl at the party. And Maya starts calling for Oliver and asks him, what is he doing? And then Maya asks Oliver if he's mic'd up. And Oliver says yes. And then Maya asks Oliver to stop talking to other women women at the party. So Maya's over it. But what I don't like is like, Maya, why are you trying to protect this man or protect your situation? You are on a reality show. And at this moment, your reality is looking a little shaky. Your boyfriend is allegedly cheating with other women. You're getting DMs about whether your boyfriend and you are in a committed relationship if you guys are exclusive. So, like, why are you why are you trying to protect the situation? I think you would have been more valuable to the show if you weren't trying to hide this moment, in all honesty. Because, in my opinion, Maya has not brought much to this season. At times, you f- would have forgotten Maya is even on the show. So Maya is sitting off away from the rest of the party with what looks like Top Chef Nene from Top Chef Kentucky season 16 and season season 17, which was Top Chef All-Stars. And I love an unexpected Bravo crossover. I was like, is that Chef Nene? Is it Nene? Nene? It's not Nene from Real Housewives of Atlanta. It's Top Chef. Um, But Maya mentions Oliver, Um, but I really couldn't make it out what she said, but I know she did say she can't talk about it because there are cameras. There you go, hiding your reality. 
on the reality show that you're on. It doesn't work like that, Maya. Be honest about what's going on. Because at the end of the day, there are viewers that could relate to what you're going through. And it prevents them from relating to what you're going through and having sympathy or empathy from you because you're trying to hide it. Meanwhile, you're completely okay with blasting other people's relationship drama for the TV show. Um, so, you know, we hear word on the street. Oliver is out in the streets of New York City hooking up with other women. And um, that ends up being confirmed at the end of the episode. But I'm not there yet. So then Craig and Paige walk away to have a chat. Craig mentions that he would like to have kids within the next five years. And in order for the kids thing to happen, they need to move in together so that they can get engaged. So then that they can get married so that they can have kids. And Paige agrees with this, but also mentions the fact that she feels like Craig is afraid that if they don't start making moves in their relationship, then Paige is going to run away. And Paige made clear that She's happy with how things are. But I do believe that this was a productive conversation between them because now they were on the same page. No pun intended. And now Craig knows how to proceed from here. And I feel like Craig felt heard in this moment. And I feel like he also heard what he needed to hear. And that is a commitment to spend more time together. I would like to see how this whole situation plays out. Is Craig going to spend more time in New York? Or is Paige going to spend time, more time in Charleston? I can't wait to see how that goes. Uh, now we get to this anticipated conversation between Danielle and Lindsay. After a weird cheers in the kitchen from what it looks like white wine in a martini glass. Um, while this conversation is happening, Craig and Amanda are sitting on a bench around the corner at the front door listening to this conversation. And you know what? I don't blame them because I would be listening too. Gotta be honest. Then Maya, Carl, Sierra, and Paige sneak around outside of the house to come through the front door to listen to the conversation. And I have to say, that whole conversation between Lindsay and Danielle was brutal. Danielle was emotional, a bit manic and dramatic, and Lindsay was giving Danielle absolutely nothing in return. And I want to take back Take that back to that conflict that happened on this recent episode between Monietta and Marlo at City Tavern. Um, how Monietta was getting, you know, a little amped up, getting a little dramatic, and Marlo was not giving her that moment in return. And so in this moment, that's exactly what Lindsay was doing with Danielle. Lindsay was giving nothing, just ice cold. And in this moment, I feel like Danielle lost his battle because... Lindsay was calm, cool, and collected, and Danielle was the emotional one in this exchange. And it makes Danielle look a little nuts to the viewers. Um, so, I mean, listen, I'm not saying I agree with how Lindsay was in this conversation, but, you know, I got to respect the game. And she played the game. She know Lindsay knew what she was doing in that moment. And so then after this conversation is over, Danielle is on the floor of the foyer inconsolable, in the arms of Maya, Paige, Amanda, and Sierra. And they're all like, this is what friendship looks like. And like, I want to say I love that they're being supportive, but I also think that they're kind of happy that this moment happened between 
Amanda, uh, not Amanda, Danielle and Lindsay. Because like pretty much it's Maya, Paige, Amanda, Sierra versus Lindsay. And now it's Maya, Paige, Amanda, Sierra and Danielle versus Lindsay. You know, I feel bad for Danielle. I really do. But I see both sides of this conflict. Um, I can see how Lindsay and Carl don't feel supported by their good friend, Danielle. But I can also see the fact that by Lindsay and Carl getting together, it changed the dynamics of their their friendship in which Danielle felt ostracized. Danielle felt literally like the third wheel or not even like the third wheel. It, maybe Danielle felt like the third wheel was chopped off and now it's, you know, just rolling back down the road. And so I can see both sides. And then uh, Craig does what he does so well, and that's gossip and stir the pot. We've seen that behavior on Southern Charmed. And Craig pretty much gives a dramatized version of the discussion that happened between Lindsay and Danielle. So then Maya, Sierra, and Paige go off to the pool chairs, and Maya's just staring at Oliver at the party. And I believe Oliver is again talking to other girls. And Maya says she needs to go get some water, which I think was code for it's about to go down. So then we get to the end of the episode. Maya and Oliver go upstairs to talk. They go into the closet to hide from the cameras. And Maya tells Oliver to cover his mic because they don't know, because I guess Maya doesn't want production to pick up the soundbite from this conversation. Um, It's clear that Maya doesn't know how microphones work because covering a microphone is not going to stop audio from being picked up. When are these reality shows going to, these reality stars going to learn how their microphones work? Unless you take the microphone off or turn the mic pack off, we are going to hear what you are saying. And even if you did that, They probably have microphones all around the house, so we still would have heard this conversation. And again, I'm disappointed in Maya because this could have been an actual authentic moment for the show where Maya confronts her boyfriend about him cheating. And Maya does ask him, "Why, why did you cheat on me? And he was like, I don't know. But like Oliver is like, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. He kept on saying that. Which makes me think, is Oliver saying he's basically showing up for Maya for the show? Like, to have, almost like he knows that he is part of Maya's storyline, and he has only showed up in support of her position on the show. After watching this episode twice, I feel like that's what... Oliver was basically telling Maya, which is interesting. I can't wait to see how all of this plays out um, next week (laughs) because it's part one of the Summer House reunion and it looks explosive. Um, I know I say um at the end of this episode because I'm like, what else is there to say? I say um at the end of each recap uh, section. I'm going to work on that. Um, (laughs) And I just did it again. Basically, the show's over. I'm trying not to say um again. Um, There it goes. Yeah, that was this episode. Episode six. You know, sometimes 
I feel like the first half of the week with the Bravo content is not as popping as the second half, you know, because New Jersey brings the fireworks and Scandaval is its own, you know, kind of solar system right now. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm feeling a little lukewarm about what Atlanta and Summer House Martha's Vineyard is giving at this point, I do understand that we are only three episodes in and not every show is going to give you like fireworks three episodes into the season. So I know there is still more to come from the Royal Housewives of Atlanta and maybe still more to come from Summer House Mother's Vineyard, depending on how many episodes they have. Um, but, you know, I'm still going to recap these shows. I'm still going to watch because I'm enjoying it. I feel like doing this podcast really helps me see things in a way that I haven't been able to see them before. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I really am. Um, there it goes again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This is episode six of Bravo Tea with Jared B. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave us a rating. Give us five stars. I'll take four. But anything less than four, just don't do it. You know, keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> um... And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers. There's this new podcast called Bravo Tea with Jared B, and you got to check it out. Thank you for the, all the support, and I want to say I'll see you next time, even, even though we don't see each other. So until next time, you will have your next episode of Bravo Tea with Jared B. It drops midnight on Friday. I hope you guys have a great night. Just kidding. Before I leave you guys, I had to give you one last moment where Angela Bassett did the thing. Take a listen. I am queen.